Now, Heavenly Father, we'd like to pause and remember that you are here and our desperate need, Jesus taught us. Apart from him, we can do nothing, especially in spiritual matters. Lord, we need your help. Open our eyes and and speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I guess back in 2007, uh, there was a move to name the new uh, seven wonders of the world. And I have that there for your viewing uh, pleasure. Uh, first on the list was uh, Chichen Itza, Itza, Mexico. Here we go with the pronunciation and the names again. Uh, Mayan uh, uh, ruins there. Number two, the Christ Redeemer statue uh, there in Brazil. Then there's a Roman, uh, the Roman Colosseum in Italy and the Taj Mahal in India. And uh, if you want to applaud for your favorite, you can. That's all right. (laughs) The Great Wall of China, right? Uh, Petra in Jordan. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting sight because it's believed that the Jews in the last days will, uh, will flee to that city. And then number seven, Machu Picchu, Peru. Now... Yeah, I know. I know there are a lot of wellabouts, but you know there were a hundred million people who voted, and they didn't ask us. I don't know what was wrong because the Golden Gate Bridge should surely be a part of this. I think. Did you know they had to take the steel from Pennsylvania and ship it through the Panama Canal around to San Francisco to build that bridge without computers or anything? I'm all for. We need to email somebody. But uh, these structures, and thank you for those pictures, uh, they're a real tribute to what man could do with his own two hands. Amazing feats of ingenuity and uh, creativity, not to mention engineering. I'm wondering, what's the most important building ever? What's the most important, what's the most significant structure ever uh, made? Is it about the massive size, or is it the costly materials, or is it that you can see it from space? Uh, No, we've already had somebody shout it out. It is probably the building that God Almighty wanted to dwell in, and that would be Solomon's temple. Now, there, there are still parts of that that are still standing. And the Western Wall, of course, is, is there. But here, here's what you see if you go over to Jerusalem there. 3,000 years ago, uh, the Lord spoke to David and Solomon and said that a house was in order. He wanted to build, have a place built for him to do his work and to teach us of things to come. There's so many insights about what went on in temple worship, from the high priest to the ceremonies to the sacrifices to even how it's built, and we're going to see that even tonight. So 1 Kings 5 is the long-awaited moment, the gathering of the materials and the organization of the labor for the most impressive wonder, uh, the house of the Lord, a building for the eternal one who fills heavens, the heavens and earth. So thank you for that picture, and we'll start reading now. Verses 1 and following. 
When Hiram, king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent his envoys to Solomon because he had always been on friendly terms with David. Solomon sent back this message to Hiram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. So give orders that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours, and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. All righty, well, let's get uh, our bearings here, and I believe I have a pointer. I had one. I really did. Oh, I found it. Awesome. All right. Uh, there's a map of Tyre and Sidon because the envoy is sent from Tyre and Sidon. Uh, now, here we go. About 120 miles. Uh, Jerusalem is over here. 120 miles north, you have Tyre and Sidon in, a, in a, an area called Phoenicia, but there's not really Phoenicians to speak of. It, it's a designation for that area of land, and so it's, a, it's just a name like Palestine was put on a piece of property. There are no such things as racial Palestinians. It was named, the land was named, all right? And so that's a, Phoenicia comes from the word uh, purple, and they were known there for the, the purple, sea, uh, purple color you could get from the seashells along the coast there. And so you have Tyre and Sidon there, and he's the king, Hiram is king over that area. And so Jesus uh, also went to Tyre and Sidon, and you remember uh, he ministered there, and um, he compared them in a favorable way to his hometown, saying that if I would have done what I did here in Capernaum and Bethsaida, the people of Tyre and Sidon would have repented long ago. And so they will fare better than uh, Jesus' own hometown. And so uh, congratulations uh, were in order. And so the envoy from King Hiram comes down those 120 miles. And uh, we know that, uh, thank you for that map. We know that Hiram was good friends with Solomon's father, David. And um, we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, King Hiram uh, was helping David to build his palace, his own palace, not the temple, but the palace for David to live. And so the envoys come down, like I said, 100 miles or so, uh, and that's kind of the way leaders do things. You know, when there's a new leader, uh, other uh, foreign powers, kind of standard protocol, they send their greetings, uh, 
And uh, I went online and I saw a long list of all the quotes from all the emails and phone calls and press releases from all other nations when Barack Obama was elected to his second term. And I have one here, the Kremlin. Everybody makes a formal statement, right? And I just thought this was sort of funny. <laughs> it says, overall, Overall, the Kremlin welcomes the news of Barack Obama's victory. <laughs> Overall, <laughs> that's a key word there. Uh, we express hope that the positive beginnings in bilateral relations and in international cooperation between Russia and the United States in the interest of international security will develop and improve. And so it was very interesting to go down a very long list of everybody sending their formal greetings because they're was an election in a country and somebody was established as a leader. This is the same way that happened thousands of years ago. Uh, they were on friendly terms, King Hiram with King David, and now he's heard that his son is reigning instead. And, you know, friendly terms here in your text really doesn't do uh, the Hebrew very good justice because in the Hebrew, and the King James has it very well, uh, Hiram loved David. So here's this king of Tyre and Sidon who's a Gentile, and, and we don't expect uh, this from him, but he had a good relationship with King David. King David let his light shine and, and, and probably most likely won him to the Lord. Uh, it's the love, same word that is used in Genesis chapter 22 and verse two, where the Lord speaking to Abraham says, take Isaac, your only son, the son that you love, Ahave in Hebrew. Same word as what Hiram felt for David. So King David was a smart guy. He didn't regard every neighbor as an automatic enemy, but he built alliances, opportunities came his way, and it looks like he really won this guy to the Lord. Now, Proverbs 18 and verse one says, an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. He, defi he defies all sound judgment. David was friendly. And uh, as one writer said, the first adjective to describe a Christ follower should be friendly. Now, what does it mean when it says an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends? Well, first of all, the motivation to be unfriendly is that you're, you're really self-absorbed. It's all about you, so you don't really have time for that person. You don't care about that person. You don't care if they're your friends or not. So you're all about yourself. So an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. He defies all sound judgment, so you get the motivation first, and then you get the end result. It's not very smart to be unfriendly. Because why? You may be burning bridges that you may need to cross later. And this is what we're going to see happening in this very text. So David was friendly, and his son was friendly too. And uh, you'll notice when the envoy, envoy comes to uh, King Solomon, uh, he doesn't say, who is this Gentile king coming uh, on the coattails of a relationship with my dad? I don't know him, and you know, he's suspect. He's a Gentile. He's goy, goyim in the Hebrew. Um, but he doesn't do that. He's the one with the wisdom, right? He's the one who writes... Uh, do not forsake the friend 
and the friend of your father. Do not forsake your father's friend. That's a proverb, Proverbs 27 and verse 10. A friend of my father is a friend of mine, he's thinking. And so uh, the well-wishers are warmly received, and a message is sent back there in your text from um, verses 2 through 6. Thanks for sending the men. Here's what's going on with me. So he's going to say, you remember how my father was always talking about the temple. The temple was his big dream. In fact, a couple of the Psalms highlight that. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, David writes in Psalm 132. No slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one. Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I see, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. There was no temple when he wrote that. That was his life stream. And so Solomon sends a message back to Hiram and says, as you know, my dad was all about building a temple. But he didn't have the opportunity because war and army was coming at him from all angles. Um, But the Lord assured him and said, it's your son Solomon who will actually build me a house. And in that day, I'll subdue the surrounding nations and give Israel peace. So I'm enjoying that rest on all sides, he's, he sends back. Not a peep from any of them. There's no trouble, no disasters, no government shutdown. You know, n- nothing's going on, just like God promised, and I'm able to carry out his plan. So let's do this, all right? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. David was like that. Solomon was like that. It's just a Christian dynamic. Don't forsake your dad's friends because they may have something you need, like the cedars of Lebanon. All right, let's move on here and see how that's going to come down. So God has specialized tasks and roles for all of us, and he had one for King David, Even though King David really wanted to do this thing, and it was mission-minded, it was his dream, he was passionate about it, but God has in mind specialized tasks for special people, and for everybody, he has a fit. And the fit was not for David to build this uh, temple, it was for his son. Now, just because we want to do something for the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord wants us to do it for him. Uh, This happens a lot. We get these ideas, and they're just not confirmed, and they don't work out. I have a pastor friend who was talking about a church plant that he knew about, and they had to have a talk with the guy who was helping right at first with worship that he really wasn't the upfront guy. He he needed to be kind of a, a support guy, but he wanted to be the upfront guy. And I remember the conversation because the pastor told him, you're not really cut out to be upfront. You, you sing off key, you have some problems. And, 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 and he goes, and the guy was very resistant. And he said, but the Lord has called me to that work. But you're the third pastor who's told me that. Now, 
when you're the third pastor to tell them that, I would, I would I, if three pastors have told you something like that, but you know, it's a wonderful grace uh, to be comfortable and to come to terms with the person God made you to be for him, your gifts and your abilities, and God has a place for everybody. You know, if the hand says to the foot, you know, we don't really need you, the hands are most important. You know, if the eye says to the ear, you know, it's all about vision, buddy, it's not about hearing. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, how strange it would be if the body was all one part, like a giant ear. You know, that would be uh, monstrous, right? And, and, and so, I mean, we see science fiction horror movies like that, right? We, we, we don't need that. And so uh, God had a place for David. David had a dream, and, and it really wasn't God's dream for him. And I think it's important to, 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 to ask why. God kind of tells us. The Lord says, you know, you've been a bloody warrior, and I really don't want the reputation of a bloody conquering warrior to be associated with the house of prayer for all nations. I, I would rather it be associated with a king who is very wise and peace-loving and prosperous like Solomon. I want, when people think I'm going to make a trek to the house of the Lord, I want them not to think of a conquering, uh, blood-stained man. I want them to think of a peaceable man, somebody like King Solomon. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all other kings of the earth. First Kings chapter 10, verse 23 Second Chronicles 9.23, all the kings of the earth sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. So God, God knows that everybody's going to hear about this king. Now, now listen to, to what he's like. This glorious presence, this wisdom without rivals, rich beyond measure, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, almighty God. We want to make the association. So, so your reputation is really important about how it's connected to me. Now, there's a lot of truth in that there for the thinking about. Now, and, and before we move on, how did David handle this disappointment? Because you, you see in the text, David wanted to, David really wanted to, it was on his heart, he wrote Psalms about it, but the Lord said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that, it's not gonna happen. How did he handle it when God said, I know this is in your heart, but you know what? It's not going to happen. Did David get all bitter and resentful and said, you know what? Then I, I, I've written my last psalm. You know, you got 99 psalms. You're not getting Psalm 100. All right? You know why? Because I have this dream and you're not cooperating with me. What is wrong with building a house for the presence of the Lord? And by the way, a funny phrasing of that. He's building a house for the name of the Lord, for the name of my God, because the other conquerors would build a temple, and then they would say, the God is in there. See, the Lord wasn't living in this structure. He was using it. He would indwell it, but it's for the name of the Lord, because the the power and the presence of the Lord is way bigger than a building. You know that famous scripture that says, I'm the Lord, I fill heaven and earth. You're gonna build me a house? 
You know, it better have some really high ceilings. <laughs> Amen. So how did David handle it? Uh, David said, you know what? I'm going to help someone else be successful in it. I may not be the one to do it, but I'm going to get behind this and make this other person successful. So he sets aside, according to 1 Chronicles 22, he, he sets aside some of the spoils from some of the victories the Lord gives him. 3,750 tons of gold set aside. Why? What are you doing with that? It's for the, the house of the Lord. You're going to build it? No, I'm not going to build it. The Lord told me no. But that's not going to stop me from having some part in this. You see? And so... 37,500 tons of silver, immeasurable supplies of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which David publicly in a ceremony in front of all of Israel hands over before he dies to King Solomon and says, this is my contribution to the work of the Lord, the house of the Lord. Now, that, that is just wonderful. Not only that, he gives out of his own treasure, David, and then he encourages the leaders to give as well. And he's encouraging Solomon. All right, so the Lord said no to me. God's work is bigger than my personal dreams and agenda and how I thought it was going to go. Uh, and so he's got this sweet, wonderful spirit, and uh, it's just a, a wonderful way to be to emulate him. All right, so from Tyre, an envoy has come with well-wishers. Number two, from Jerusalem, a response has been sent back with a request for help. And paraphrase, he just says, hey, I need some wood. Everybody knows you guys are the best lumberjacks around. Uh, let's work together. My men with yours, I love this. You set the wages and I'll pay them. You set the wages. Wow. Wisdom humility, graciousness, diplomacy, tact, love. It's all wrapped up in wisdom. This is how wisdom works. And here's the response, 7 through 12. When Hiram heard Solomon's message, as gracious as it was, he was greatly pleased and said, praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. Hmm, that sounds like a believer to me. Verse eight. So Hiram sent word to Solomon. I have received the message you sent me and will do all you want in providing the cedar and pine logs. My men will haul them down from Lebanon to the sea and I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you specify. There I will separate them, and you can take them away. And you are to grant my wish by providing food for my royal household. In this way, Hiram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and pine logs he wanted. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat. One core is a donkey load, right? So about 50 pounds, all right? Um, and for his household, and in addition, 20,000 baths of pressed olive oil. That's 115,000 gallons. So they're going to make a lot of bread. Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after year. It took seven years to build the temple, so 
uh, perhaps seven years. Uh, 12, verse 12, the Lord gave Solomon wisdom just as he promised him. There was peaceful relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. All right. So the envoy was sent, a request was made, and now a favorable response, and a treaty is made. You know Proverbs 15, 20, a wise son brings joy to his father, but it doesn't stop there. A wise son brings joy to the father's friend, a wise son brings joy to the coworker. A wise son brings joy to the pastor. A wise son brings joy to uh, the church. A wise son, a wise daughter brings joy. Just brings joy wherever they go because they live in wisdom and they do the right thing and they're other-centered and they're, they've got God's blessing because they're always wise. In every way, they're just thinking, what is the wise thing to do right now? And God gives them the blessing way, the way to be a blessing. And so uh, Hiram, here's this guy, he's, he, he's a king, he's a pagan king, or he's supposed to be. Anyway, he's greatly pleased, filled with joy after this wonderful, gracious um, response of Solomon's. And so... Uh, the, the, he gets a response from a son that he didn't, didn't really know. There's a compliment in there, because that's wise. When you deal with people, it's nice to be nice to people. Amen? What a concept. And, and one just says, you know, you Sidonians know how to cut down trees, and boy, did they. You had to know when to cut the tree down, how to cut it down, how to trim it, how to move it, uh, all kinds of things, and the Sidonians uh, were always uh, doing these kinds of things and selling the timber all over the world, and so to, from Egypt, all points uh, all around the Mediterranean. Um, now, I can assure you that if Absalom, uh, a.k.a. Fabian, if, if he ever got just a Hollywood guy, you know, one of David's sons was extremely good-looking, and it went to his head, and he had long, beautiful hair. He liked to t- get a haircut and then wrap it up and weigh it and then boast about how heavy his haircuts were. You know, this, I can assure you that if he were on the throne instead of Solomon, uh, he wouldn't be, Hiram would not be singing the praises of the Lord. He'd be sounding a war cry because this self-centered brat was on the throne. You know, he wouldn't be sending gracious supply, uh, replies, I should say. And so, uh, yeah, it sounds like we're going to see Hiram in heaven, and I, that would be nice. So about the wood, you know, he says, no problem, you got it. And so you want to show that map again? Come on, I love maps. <laughs> Look, so they're going to fell the trees. They're going to float him down to Jaffa. All right? Where's Jerusalem? Jaffa's right about there. And then they're going to roll them in inland, about 35 miles overland. All right? Thank you for that. I can breathe better now. I just love, I love that kind of stuff. You get it in your head. It's a lot easier. Uh, and so, uh, okay, Solomon, you keep my palace going, and I'll keep the timber coming. It's a reasonable request. You know, Solomon was kind of vulnerable, you know, saying, hey, you set the terms, and he could have taken them, you know, 
what's the expression? He could have taken advantage of him, but he did not. He just said, you know, supply what we need to run the palace and I'll take care of your need for the timber. Now, here comes the building project. And as a pastor of a church with a lease expiring in five months, I am paying attention to these kinds of uh, chapters. And um, God's work, it's all about God. And here's what I'm learning. Um, first of all, I'm not, I'm not really nervous. I don't have a lot of anxiety about what's coming up. We have to make a lot of decisions. This place does not work for us anymore. Um, we need a much bigger place. Uh, but from the beginning, God has been faithful. When I started, when we started the church, I was coming out of a bone marrow transplant, stem cell rescue with no job, just disability. So I had nothing. And there was, the, the church I was a part of wasn't interested in helping. So we had nothing. And we started a church with a sandwich board sign and 40 Costco chairs at the Sabood Hall in behind Foster Freeze in Sebastopol. And I'm surprised anybody ever went to that place. Because <laughs> if you drive by it today, it's scary. It's just a scary little place. Uh, but the Lord used it. I, a year later, we doubled in size from zero to <laughs> just, <laughs> from 20 to 40 to whatever it was. And then, then we went downtown and we remodeled the Yerba Mate building. Come on. We, we didn't have a bank account. We didn't have enough money. And somebody got this idea, let's, we should be downtown. And can you imagine the first thing you see is Calvary Chapel and a, and, and a, and a cross when you come into Sebastopol. And I said, you've got to be kidding. We can't do that. Well, we did that. You know? And just how God used all the, the landlords and the connection. I walked into that building, a Yerba Mate building. And there was a guy... And he had, uh, our, who turned, into, turned out to be our future landlord for the building, who let us lease the building. He had an open uh, port for chemotherapy. And I said, I just got my port taken out. And he said, let me see. And he started unbuttoning my shirt. <laughs> and he pulled my shirt open, and you could see my scar. He goes, whoa, man, that's just like mine. What kind of cancer did you have? And we, have, we were instant friends, right? Now, and then it, that ended up to be a place where we spent a couple years. We remodeled it. We doubled in size. It was standing room only. And, and then they sold the property. And then the new guy came in and said, I don't like churches. You need to leave. And so we, we needed a place to go. I wasn't really nervous because I'd seen God working. And so we went up on the hill to O'Reilly Building on the second floor. It was a wonderful place where we outgrew that place. Where are we going to go? We don't have any money. So we ended up going to the community center where we had to set up and tear down and set up and tear down. Then a broker says, listen, we found this place in Santa Rosa. It used to be a church, but the church moved out. How perfect would that be for you? And so we came down, checked it out. It was a lot different. Didn't have a wall there. <laughs> It didn't have a children's ministry. It was all warehouse. We'd need $50,000, $70,000. What are we going to do? How am I going to say yes? How are we going to qualify? 
it all fell into place. So we're, not only did we get in here, then we expanded into the NPR, and then Terminex left, and they offered us the offices over there, and we grew into that. You know what? Folks, I'm done having any anxiety about where we're going to be and who's going to provide for us because God is faithful. Amen? Amen. I had to get that off my chest. Now, true, uh, things are starting to get a lot of extra zeros involved, which is a little nerve-wracking because the numbers are bigger, but the God is the same. And, and we're just seeing him take care of us, and we're letting him lead us right now and wherever he leads. So these are the things I saw. God was directing. Uh, I was thinking of Moses and the tabernacle and Solomon and the temple. God, God directs. He gives the instructions. He leads. It's not their doing. It's not their ideas. God comes. God, God is the initiator. So let God be the initiator. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, both of those men knew that God put them in that position. They just had to know that. And we, we know that. Three, God had stirred up the hearts of the people to give. God had provided skilled uh, laborers and gifted craftsmen to step up. You know, God starts it, he sustains it, he directs it, he funds it, he finishes it. It's really fun to work with him. Um, so part of the way God did it with them was by softening the heart of a Gentile king and facilitating a good relationship between David and Hiram and then Solomon and Hiram. Okay, let's finish up 13 to 18, then we'll be done. Solomon, King Solomon conscripted laborers from all Israel, 30,000 men. He sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 a month so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 stonecutters in the hills, as well as 3,300 foremen who supervised the project and directed the workmen. At the king's command, they removed from the quarry large blocks of quality stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone for the temple, the craftsmen of Solomon and Hiram and the men of Gebel cut and prepared the timber and stone for the building of the temple. All right, so an envoy was sent. Congratulations. A request was made. I need your help. And a favorable response. A deal was struck, and now the work gets underway. Now, it would take a lot of manpower for this dream to happen, to fell trees, to trim them, to transport them. So Solomon's going to send some guys to Tyre to help. Uh, verse 13 says 30,000 men. Here's how he did it. You'll remember there was 1.3 million at the census David shouldn't have taken, but he took it. So we know there was 1.3 million in 2 Samuel 24. So 30,000 Jewish men that's 2.3% of the labor force were conscripted to kind of go one month on, two months home. So 30,000 Jews gave four months work in Lebanon. All right? Now, the forced labor, you can see in Second Chronicles chapter 2 and also in chapter 8, that the rest of the guys were, were 
uh, foreign residents like the Gibeonites. Remember, the Gibeonites were Canaanites who uh, kind of deceived uh, Joshua into making an oath. Uh, the Lord held them to that oath, and as a result, the Gibeons could live, but they had to be stonecutters and servants. So these are the kinds of people who were conscripted into forced labor. Uh, 150,000 of them, Second Chronicles says, they worked as stone or, uh, cutters. Uh, 70,000 bore burdens in your text. 80,000 cut stone. They had 3,000 overseers. They had 300 foreign supervisors and 250 Jewish officers. It was very detailed work. Uh, now, it was a big undertaking. Uh, in today's terms, it, uh, scholars say it would have cost two to three billion, with a B, dollars to construct magnificent uh, structure, elaborate ceremonies, and we're going to see the glory of God fill this place. Uh, but it's all pointing to something a lot more wondrous and more magnificent, a different kind of building project that's much more important than the rock that will be crumbling. In 586, that building will be destroyed by the Babylonians. It'll be rebuilt by Ezra and the team, and a foreign government will help, but then it'll be destroyed completely again by the Romans in AD 70. So it's not about the building. It's about you. It's about me. It's about the church of the living God. It's about being his temple. The most wondrous building on the planet and God, God's most important building project is you, your life. Do you not realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 says, you know what? This, that, this, this temple is a picture, prophetic picture of us, that Christians are like living stones. We're like stones of a temple, but we're alive. And inside all of us together, in the midst of us, when we gather together, there's the presence and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, not to mention in our own hearts and, and lives. Now, it's interesting to me that the Lord was really concerned about King David's reputation as he was associated with the temple at the dwelling place of God. How much more is he concerned about we who bear not only his image, but bear his presence in our hearts and lives? We are the temple now. So if he was concerned about David being a, a bloody, conquering kind of guy, and he didn't want people to associate his presence in the temple with him, how much more us? How, how should we be? We should be overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience. You know, the context for do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which does mean that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell inside you, in your body. The context in 1 Corinthians 6 is sexual immorality. 
So Paul is saying, don't you realize that you're like the temple of God? And could you imagine something sexually immoral going on in the temple of the living God? That's the context for the truth of realizing, hey, God dwells in me, that I'm the temple, that God is working on me. He's building himself a dwelling place, and that dwelling place that he's building is me. Listen to this, and and I want to close with this thought. By the grace of God, Paul's saying, I laid a foundation in my life. Now, let's describe the Christian life as a building, all right, or the temple. He says, there's only one foundation, but each one should be careful how you build on it. No one can lay any other foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, oh, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's temple. If what has been built the, the, uh, survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Next verse. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And so here Paul is saying, describing us as as little mini temples. And he says, you get two choices. You work with God, he's building you. It's maturing you, right? You can, and, and, and you get a choice of how you cooperate with him. You can cooperate well with gold, silver, and gems. You could read your Bible. You can study. You can worship him. You can uh, be honest in your dealings. You can choose to resist uh, temptation. You can choose not to gossip. You can choose to obey and to love and to let the Holy Spirit. These are ways you build with gold and silver and costly gems so that when you stand before the Lord and the building inspector comes out, he says, let me, let me test this. The things that you've done, your faithfulness and all your efforts and your disciplines, all of these ways, choosing to respond to, in the opposite spirit to people, to forgive people who hurt us, uh, Uh, These kinds of things is gold, silver, and costly stones. And then he says, you can build. You can still be saved, but you can build with wood, hay, and stubble. That that means you're lazy. You're a lazy Christian. You're still going to heaven. But he's going to inspect the building. And you're not going to get away with shoddy workmanship. He expects you to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. So when you're lazy, when you never read your Bible, when you go to church and you've never worshipped, it just looks like you're worshipping, but you're not. He knows all of that, right? And so when we're lying or, you know, when we're doing little things, we're just building the wrong way. I th- uh, we just went to Disneyland. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but I am. <laughs> we just went to Disneyland. The Lord has been just teaching me, I'm building you. Pay attention. Use gold and silver and and costly gems. 
Don't be lazy. Pay attention to what's coming out of your mouth. Pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention because it, it matters. So we're down in Disneyland for one day, Jordan and I, and uh, or I'm checking out of the hotel, and I see that they charge me $10 for parking. And that made me mad. So I go back in there and I said, you know what? I, this is what I meant to say. I, I don't remember them saying anything about parking. You know, I was looking to find a place that wasn't going to charge me any parking. And I looked and I didn't see anything. And I, that's what I was going to say. But out of my mouth came, uh, you know, she said I wasn't going to have to pay $10 for parking. I didn't even know I said it until the Holy Spirit's like, excuse me, Pastor Ross, may I interrupt right now? You know, hello, hello, here I am. You know, it's like, pay attention. Pay attention. You can't just lie. You can't just say, oh, you know, I didn't want to pay this $10. And you know, she said I didn't have to pay it. No, so I caught myself. And I said, you know what? Now thinking about it, she probably didn't say that. I may not have heard it correctly. I know this was a big deal to me, but she might not have said it. She didn't say it, or I'm, I'm just trying to get it all out of my mouth. Listen, the, these things, it's important how we live our lives to pay attention. Are you backbiting somebody? Are you slandering somebody? Are you gossiping right now? Uh, are you being a hypocrite? Are you entertaining thoughts that you shouldn't be thinking about? Are you tearing somebody down? Are you thinking of yourself more highly than you ought? That's what this is talking about. That's how you build the temple. You're either building it very well or you're not building it. But we just think, hey, I'm just living my life. I'm just checking out of the hotel. $10, what's that? You know, and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to make a scene. I'm going to get her to take the, the $10 off, which I did. Of course, but. <laughs> but I got in the car and I told Jordan the whole story. I said, it is not worth $10 to build with a little piece of straw. Put a little straw in there. Put a little hay, you know, put a little hay. And then on that day, you know, when, he, when, when the fire gets put on, whatever that means, then, then that has to burn up, why? No reward there because he doesn't honor lies that we tell as Christians and as pastors. Amen? Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, costly stones. The choice is ours. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling and realize that today counted. Tonight counts. Tomorrow morning counts. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, costly stones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great grace, for Jesus and the foundation and your patience with us. Lord, we're just going through life so fast without thinking and not endeavoring to make sure we're living holy lives consistent with the God who dwells within us. Oh, Lord, help us. We're so weak and we're so prone to wander. 
But Lord, on that great day when we see you face to face and you test the quality of each person's work, we want to stand with our heads held high and with reward remaining that you will find us faithful that we have built well in cooperating with the Holy Spirit and making use of the tools that you have given us in gifts and abilities and the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer and the armor of God, all of these things so that this temple that you're building, the one that's the most important of all, the one that you bought with your own blood would be built as an honor and unto glory for the name of the Lord our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. Two words. Build well. Build well. It'll be worth it to you the day's coming. It's closer than when you first got here this, tonight. It's a lot closer. <laughs> Sorry. Build well. That's my prayer for all of you, for all of us, that that day, oh, that day, it's coming. The older I get, I just, I get a little nervous about it because I can kind of see it. I can see it. It's inevitable. It's really going to happen. I used to think, oh, you know, that's forever. So forever is a long time away. But old isn't. I'm a, <laughs> I am a few short months from a, a senior discount. <laughs> Build well. It's going to happen. You're going to see him. And he's going to check out the work with eternal consequences I mean saved but in that world we're determining our roles and responsibilities by little things that we're not even thinking about oh <laughs> think 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 heavenly perspective before it comes out of your mouth before you think the thought before you do the deed how do I want this to play out when I see Jesus Christ face to face. Amen? Heavenly Father, we could do nothing without you, but we could do everything with you. And as we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. So give us the strength that we need because we don't have it. And in our weakness, your power is made perfect. So it's a pretty good place to be broken and weak and totally dependent on you, God for everything. Build this temple and make it glorious to the name of the Lord our God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.